Live from Sydney, this is General Ike, Building Jerusalem. Our guest today is Rav Asher Eliyahu Reich Schleder. Rav Reich is a Sanza Chassid with family connections to Bells and a deep personal affiliation with Amshnev. He received his smicha, rabbinical ordination, from Rav Yitzchak Weiss, the Av Beistin of Yerushalayim. He is, has been a congregational Rav and teaches Torah in Beit Harilit and sometimes Sydney, Australia. Rav Reich, it's a pleasure to have you on this show. Likewise. I met you a few years ago here in Sydney uh, when you came to uh, take up the position of Rabbi of the Dashul here. And at the time, I think you were the only person that I know of um, in Sydney who wore a strimal, uh, the, the fur hat. What was that like for you? What was that experience like from the inside? Still am. You still are? Yeah, nobody wears a strimal. Sure. Uh, the question is wrong. That wasn't my culture challenge. Yes, Trimal, no Trimal. If if my concern would be making the mark with the community, my image, what I look like to them and to others, then that would be a pertinent question. Uh, being the first or only Shrimal in town. But my thoughts were all about changing things, improving things, creating a viable Torah-orientated Kehila, as I told them, bringing a Kailal, and issues like that. And when you're into accomplishing things, the... Um, the trappings don't count. The uh, specific makeup of the hat isn't. Yeah, fun. yeah, big deal. Hat style. Where you, where you uh, were raised in Manchester, was trimals a common, a more common thing? When I was a kid, there were a few, and we knew those are the Hasidish guys. There was no um, uh, um, negative attitude that I remember, not at all. Uh, that was just where they came from in Europe or what they, what they came from, what sort of denominations they belonged to and so on. As time went on in Manchester, it became more and more Hasidish. Now the overwhelming number in my community, that of my grandfather, which uh, where he was president and he was the main person in the community for many years, uh, one could say in a sense the founder, one of the founders. Uh, so now it's become predominantly Hasidic to the extent that there are others who are more, I have to choose my words carefully, worldly I would say, who find themselves swamped by the more Hasidish element, and it's relevant to the choosing of a 
of the next Rav. And these people are all davening in the same shul? Yes, yes, there's a certain... Manchester is a, a subject of its own. I can't even go into it. It's unique in that Hasidim and non-Hasidim who elsewhere in the world would not be talking to each other perhaps or certainly would not appreciate each other as they should do to a large extent in Manchester because that's that's the culture and the Baruch Hashem it's infiltrated the Jewish community as well even the more religious, less religious I really don't want to enlarge on Manchester even though I have tremendous love and respect for the Kehillah it's, I've moved away from there, I've moved on I would say as the one of the great Gedolim who became Hasidish said to his father-in-law, who was not Hasidish, and because of his uh, Hisnagdus forced his daughter and son-in-law sort of to leave the town. And then when he became famous, he asked for him to come back. He said, look, a child does very well in his mother's womb, our sages tell us, it doesn't go back. He grows and the womb contracts. So I feel about I feel that way about Manchester. I've gone into the big world and Manchester is still uh, a bit of a cradle. So when when you left the cradle of Manchester, what were you seeking originally? What was I thinking? What were you seeking? What what sort when of life were there? you aimed at? When you were leaving? For, uh, well, the right question would be when I left and what stage in life. So I'm going to give you a Please. very short, very short resume. Uh, I started in the Jewish day school, local Jewish day school in Manchester. There were two of them. Uh, this was, um, I think, the more illustrious one. It had a real educator on top of it, and, and a very from true at the same time. Uh, I went on to a non-Jewish school, much to the uh, opposition of many members of the community. Uh, Manchester Grammar, very, um, an Ivy League high school, the Ivy League in North of England, without any doubt. Um, after four years there, they wanted me to stay. They said I'm a born linguist and other issues. Uh, they saw that I have a future. They wanted me to go on. Oxbridge, whatever. And my father said at that point, no. Uh, I went on to Gateshead for four and a, four and a half, nearly five years. Uh, and went on to Ponovich and Etisol. Against my will, I wanted to go to Brisk, where my uncle, my uncle's yeshiva. Uh, but my father wanted me to be in a more, quote-unquote, worldly yeshiva, whereas Brisk was seen as somewhat narrow. Uh, I never gave up, though, looking for somewhere that I felt was more suited for me. Can you explain these terms, uh, worldly and narrow, a bit? In yeshiva, in yeshiva speak, yes. 
But for that, I would have to discuss Brisk. And Brisk is, in a way, it's the Ivy League of all yeshivas, the Derch HaLimud, Chaim Briska. Brisk is everything you can think of in Lomdisha learning. And Yerushalayim. It's a whole Derch that the family, the Soloveitchiks, represented and represent, and I know while I'm speaking, uh, and in fact just, I think yesterday, I was exchanging with someone to whom Brisk meant something else, it meant Rav Soloveitchik of the States, Rav J.B., or call him as you may, but I'm talking about the brisk of the briskarov. This is Europe for the war? Yes. And brisk became the yeshiva, the, I can only use the Yiddish term, the spitz yeshiva. The spitz yeshiva? What is peak? Peak, peak of a mountain, yeah. As top a, of the Ivy League uh, yeshiva, of yeshivas. And was it, was it this position at the top that made it narrow? Or was, it, was it something else? No, brisk? the other way around. It was its narrowness that made it the top. Yes, it was focus. What was what was Brisk focused on? Tyrone Yerushmaim, but Yerushmaim incurred a lot of diktuk b'mitzvahs, being very meticulous, and occupied your. Whoever was in it, in a way that um, it became a whole derach, a way of life, a culture, an approach to learning, an approach to Yiddishkeit, an approach to politics, an approach to life. And it just... It was all-consuming. is very... It is all-consuming. A single man. I mean, the... the, the um, To, I'm trying to do justice to, to you, brisk and those who are not brisk at the same time. Do you have maybe a, a quote from someone who is from a famous brisker or a story that illustrates the character of the place? I have, a, I have one which I won't repeat because it's a bit negative and it's what the Klosenberger Rebbe said to me when I ran away from Ponovich to... Klosenberg to the sons and he asked me why I didn't go to my uncle's yeshiva because uh, my uncle never forgave me for it. Uh, Your uncle was then running the yeshiva? He still is. He's the, 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 the one of the maybe the only remaining son of the Briskarov and he had the second yeshiva, the second, there were only two then. And uh, he expected me to come to him. In fact, he said to my father, serves you right. Because your son wasn't, you didn't send your son to me, look what's become of him. He's gone off to, off the yeshiva world altogether. So th- this, this sort of thing is a bit arcane to me. And I, uh, I, I, I imagine to a lot of I, I people. I don't know if it's worth 
Fine, not worth necessarily Discussing talking into at great length. But Ponovich is considered one, a very illustrious yeshiva in its own regard. Is what? Ponovich yes. is considered a very illustrious yeshiva in its own regard. Was. Was yes. considered, okay, yes. a very illustrious. Yeah, it's lost that, that glitter. Okay, uh, but what did it, yeah. what did, what was different about Ponovich? What did Ponovich not have that Brisk had? In, I have to start with the academics. I don't want to sound too, too mundane and scholastic because all this goes with a, with a very strong spirit, in, in, I'd say a healthy dose, but that's a strong spirit of Yerushimayim and, and like I said, Diktuk B'mitzvah, but Brisk essentially is the most incisive, developed, the most incisive way of approaching Gemara and Halacha and life, according to the Torah. Mm-hmm. It's there, uh, um, depth and, uh, I'll use the Shivish word, lambdas, mode of, of investigating an issue, a question, an answer, that's really become adopted as by the whole yeshivisha world. And, and how would... See how them would, included. And how would Ponovich do it? They had their own system or they used the standard? No, Ponovich was a regular yeshiva. It was just very successful because of the person on top of it. The Ponovich was a he had the support of the Chazanish and he, he made sure, he was a leader, and he made sure to bring the best Rosh Hashivas, Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Shach, and Rabbi David. Uh, he, was, he, he knew how to build an institution. Okay. But he couldn't compete with Brisk. It was an old issue between Brisk and Ponovich. Rabbi Shach himself, the main Rosh Hashiva in Ponovich, at least the main Roshiva known to the world at large was a Talmud of Brisk, was very close to Brisk. And he tried to keep Talmudim from going to Brisk because he felt that it was too, exclu- too... He felt that Brisk was too narrow. They only learned a certain, a certain part of, of Shas, Kodshim, even though my uncle always said to me, he tries to encourage them to do other, other parts. He was very straightforward. Do you humble. know Kodshim, like with the... the uh, yeah, the, the things, laws of Kabbalas, which are not relevant today. Why do they focus on that? Because it lends itself to their mode of thinking. It just Kodshim just offers the opportunity. I mean, they did other mesechtas that weren't in Kodshim as well, to an extent. And once you have the approach, it applies all over. But Baba Metzia, to quote the, to the main regular mesechtalant in yeshivas, the Bavas, Kitin Kedushin and Ksubas and Yevomas, are well, um, have well-trodden paths. And Brisk actually needed something new and something that... That, 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 that these already. approaches, uh, subjects by these approaches haven't yet been, um, haven't been dug into yet. 
in this kind of way. More of an so, opportunity for them to make their own way. And I'm a that some would disagree with that. Fair area. enough. But, uh, yes. but be that as it may, you end up um, fleeing Panovich. Uh, yes, and, 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 and left Panovich. Ran away from Panovich, to put it correctly. Rav Shach never, was never moichel me, never forgave me for it. Because I was one of his Talmidim. I could say in a way, prized Talmidim, there was a group who used to talk in learning with him. I was one of them. And he felt it was a big loss that I was leaving uh, the world of, the yeshivisha world for the chassidisha world. For those who don't know these terms, yeshivish, chassidish, can you, uh, yes. on one foot, summarize the difference? Yes. I have to start with... Uh, Geography, because it's, to, to see it in full context, you have to. In Russia, Lithuania, maybe parts of Ukraine of today, um, service of God, I'll put it very broadly, was mainly um, stimulated through thought, through understanding, through consideration, depth of understanding. You, you think about God's greatness and that inspires you to do things and to do the mitzvahs. In Poland, Conversely, and with Poland goes what was then Galicia, uh, Hungary, Romania, which is all Western Europe, interestingly, in relation to Russia. It's almost the almost the time zone till, uh, of today tells you that the main European time zone which includes Poland and, um, and Hungary and Romania, as I said, the, there was a different focus. There was a lot of, uh, there was a tremendous lot of learning, especially um, in Hungary, well, I shouldn't say there was more learning in Hungary, but in Hungary there were institutions of learning, yeshivas that were well known as yeshivas, but it wasn't the same kind of um, delving into depth that that was um, glorified as in the Russian type institutions. And there was this, I haven't called it a schism, but this sort of friendly maybe rivalry between the Russian Jewish great thinkers and, and the more Western uh, great Torah personalities. I know this from 400 years ago, there was an issue that was in dispute at the time about a certain divorce. And in the uh, one of the Polish 
Gedolim, a very great one, the, the Maram Lublin from Lublin uh, was, was hailed as having written a response on it to, to the question that, that really uh, um, over, overrides everything the Russian, Chachme Russia, the Russian greats said at the time. And you can see there was this kind of Russian, Gedalim, great people, and Polish. And this is, you said 400 years ago, so this is before the Baal Shem before the modern... Chassidus, okay. absolutely. And in fact, in the Hasidic world of today even, you have the Russian Hasidism, Chabad notably is one, to me, who's in the Polish world, the Russians are Litvaks. Absolutely, <laughs> they would be very offended. <laughs> but even the way I was leaning, I was leaning today, and I wanted to excuse myself. It was in a Chabad minion, and I wanted to tell him, sorry, I don't do it the Russian way. I do it more, I mean, I pronounce the words like them, but I, I, there was definitely a, a, a non-Russian character to mm-hmm. my leaning. So this is a different split, this, this split you're talking about it's now? It's not much talked about, and uh, maybe I'm making more of it than it is, but, uh, but it's there, and it has to be um, recognized, because the, the Litvaks in the Shivish world, that was their world of Yiddishkeit, it was all promoted, it was all maintained through yeshivas and learning. Whereas in the Polish world, well, it was previously through yeshivas, but as soon as Hasidus came, it was all the Hasidic worlds were bells or or ger or sons were the 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 um, what would I say the uh, the mainstay of Yiddishkeit in these places. So let's shift to after the time of Hasidus. And there were still yeshivas in these Hasidic places. The literature world uh, uh, wouldn't even uh, um, give a, a penny for, for the learning in these yeshivas. They, wouldn't, they didn't reckon with them at all. There was a great yeshiva in Lublin of the Maram Shapira, which is, uh, I can't, within the scope of this talk, even uh, begin to talk about it. It was a great accomplishment for Poland. So what at we the can... At time, the Litvaks wouldn't look at it. So, so the Litvak side, like Lithuania, Russia, the more cerebral, the more cerebral types, the people we're calling yeshivish, what they had to recommend themselves yeah. was a sort of intellectual service of God. Yeah. What was it like for the, for the Polish side, for what you're calling the Hasidish side? What was the focus there? I'll, I'll answer with with two two little quotes maybe um, first there's a famous saying about two Chosrim B'Sheila two great Yiddish or no, Hebrew writers, Shalom Aleichem and Bialik, who came out of the 
ultra-religious European world and uh, develop their own derg, if you can call it that, in, uh, in literature, in modern Hebrew literature. And Shalom Aleichem was, um, how did it go? I'm just going to get it right. Shalom Aleichem grew up in, yeah, grew up in the Hasidic world in Poland, and Bialik came from the Lithuanian world. People said Bialik was an emotional person. His writing and his uh, see the scenes, he depicts, and so on. You can see that he identified emotionally with various scenes of of traditional life in in the European shtetls and so on. Uh, and he needed an emotional emotional surroundings to stimulate his interest in, in Yiddishkeit, in traditional Judaism. Uh, Shalom Aleichem was a dry rationalist, a scientist, like a scientist. Unfortunately, Shalom Aleichem grew up in, in Poland and Bialik in Lithuania. They say, had it been the other way around, they may have stayed within the fold. Right. <laughs> okay. That's uh, one a little note. Uh, there was something else I wanted to say. Uh, emotions and and uh, yes, maybe another two things. There was a young man, and there are others who would know better this story. Uh, who was a big Talmud Chacham. In fact, one of the Gedolim, one of the great leaders in Jewish learning, I think in Poland, about 20 years, between the wars, after the First World War, who decided Poland doesn't know how to learn. I'm going to go and find, I'm going to look for, I'm going to look elsewhere. I don't know if he ever got to Lithuania. But he came to a certain godel, and I've forgotten who the, the godel was. It loses its, uh, its poignancy when you don't know the names. But he, he came to this godel and uh, he started throwing his gomorrahs and his knowledge, and he really believed in his uh, abilities to command, as it were, the whole Talmud, Shas and Paiskim and so on. I won't say he was arrogant, but he certainly wasn't, didn't underestimate his own knowledge and, and, and wide command of it all. And this scuttle, this great person they came to, an older person, put him in his place. This is what he said later. The, the, the person said to him something like these words. And the reason why it hits me so I resonate with this is because I like to say it to some people sometimes as well. You know, I'm sort of retired now and 
not doing anything very significant, no, no, not making big, big law in the Hebrew house. I'm not making a big noise anywhere. But I know what I'm doing and where I am and what I have to do, day by day. This Godel said to this young man, he said, yes, 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 yes. I have to say it in Yiddish, and I'll translate. So he was saying to this young man, I was also young, I was like you, young and ambitious and full of myself and what I knew and what I, my potential and my ambitions and so on. As I got older, I realized that, you know, the, the, the maturity sort of trimmed and mellowed my thoughts about the world and myself. And I realized that I just have to do things as one is supposed to and bring practice in line with knowledge, heart in line with mind, and that mellowed me totally. So cool down a little, because you will anyway, eventually. Something like that. I'll say a third thing, and this is my, uh, this is really the, the whole message. In the beginning of the Shulchan the code of Jewish law, the very textbook of the service of God to every Jew. It says at the beginning that a person should be aware of God's presence, aware of God all the time. And it didn't actually say tremble. It's not a fire and brimstone message, but it's a quite a, a, a strong um urge to to fear God. The first remod, the first uh, um, section of Shulchan Aruch. And it says that when you think of God's presence, you will come to fear of God and hachno, hachno, subservience to God. So think of it, be aware of it, and, and conduct yourself accordingly. That's the preface, as it were, of Reb Moshe Isimis, of, of the great Ashkenazi gloss to Shulchan Aruch. It's appropriate that the tour has, uh, that's the origin, original sort of Shulchan Aruch, and then the Shulchan Aruch, and the Ramah has this note at the beginning. So there were two daily Israel, very great people. One was, I think, I, I'm not sure of this, but the Briskarov could have been. And the other was the Slonim Rebbe, great Hasidic leader. And uh, Briskarov was a great Misnagdic leader. And he complained about himself. He was sort of commiserating with the Slonim Rebbe. There was a good 
association there between them. And he said, the demands of a person, Ramayusha Isalis, or, or states that if you consider properly God's presence, obviously God's greatness, you will immediately be overcome with dread of, you know, it'll, it'll get to your emotions. So that passage from the mind to the heart takes time with me. I can't do it quickly. There's no miyad, immediate, as apparently um, demanded by the Ramah. And the Islam Rebbe said, ah, that's why you need Hasidus. That's what, what the Hasidim work on, bringing mind, bringing heart in, my, in line with your mind. And actually the Slonomer, which is in a way the bridge between the literature world and the Hasidic world, do a lot of that. It's, it is their, their hallmark, uh, combining the two, the mind and the heart. And lining it up so that if one considers God's presence, one does it. One is immediately seized by yeah, a yeah. sense of awe. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all very lofty, and you know, uh, how does it translate to the everyday practice of Chassidim and non-Chassidim? I could say a lot of things, uh, but I don't want to discuss yeah. that. But I feel like we've we've, we've um, pulled at the point enough so that I think that that. The distinction is clear. So you were in more of a yeshivish place, a more cerebral place, Panovich, and you fled to go somewhere where the emotional content was richer for you? Yes. And that place was? It was Kloisenberg Sands. My background is from Galicia, where where everybody, my grandfather told me this, wore a strangle, to go back to your first question. In his town... Everybody wore a strangle, even though that time was the bastion of Misnagdim, Brod, Brody. It was originally uh, anti-Hasidic. In fact, one of the bans on Hasidim, the Khairim, I think, was issued in Brod. Uh, so and then it became, Hasidim took over the town, uh, became Hasidic. And that was my, I still have my very much Litvish side. And that's why I, I do Chabad. <laughs> I, I, my Litvish side tells me to learn Chabad, uh, uh, um, the Alter Rebbe, whatever I learned before, davening and so on. Um, but my place is with Hasidim. I never look back. That's right. It's it's interesting to me because I um when again going back to like when we first met all those years ago, I was really uh, struck by how much you um uh, you you know, you wore the garb you you look you you talk the talk and you walk the walk and at the same time you're so um, fiercely independent about doing what what you perceive to be correct and I remember um one one thing that really etched in my mind early was. We were, I think, studying together, and um, after after a lesson, I um, I asked you about a, a new book series that had just come out, or that was just gaining in popularity because there'd been people had been discussing if it's if it's suitable for for religious Jews to read it, 
Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Obviously, yeah. And I was, do you remember your answer to me at the time? No. I, I asked her, so is it permitted for, for Jews to read this? Some people have problems. And I think you said, oh, Harry Potter? I love that. I read that to my kids before they go to bed at night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, there, there are Jewish elements there. She's, she's hits on a few things, uh, Rowling, that are some very non-Jewish as well. If, you, if you're well-versed in proper traditional, I should say, Jewish thinking and attitude, you can detect what she's got. She's taken from all over. And well, so, what are the very Jewish elements? Oh, that there's a the, the very issue of magic and that there is a a non-physical side to things is a Jewish belief. And I don't don't get ideas. I'm not uh, um, corroborating stuff in Harry Potter to be uh, uh, making it real. But, uh, but, but certain aspects of it are real. And you can um, accomplish things through the mind, and there is, there are worlds around us down here that we're unaware of, there's stuff going on that we have to take into account that we don't see and goes on. There are concepts there that, that resonate with, with religious Jews, and there's, there's one concept that's very much not so. But this is this is real basic Jewish as opposed to non-Jewish Hashkofa, Beltanschauung, and that's when this evil guy comes back to life. Voldemort, if you dare, if you dare say his name, uh, and the uh, we're not all as brave as you. Harry's friend Hagrid says, "Well, now he's back." We just have to, we just have to contend with it and see how we can handle things. And so the very nonchalant or, or, or not, not very decisive or, or um, confident attitude and Jews have an all-encompassing understanding of life that everything is from Hakadosh Baruch Hu, from God. And it's there for a reason, and it's part of God's goodness. And even what seems bad is just an offshoot of what really is good and comes back to what really is good. Uh, there's no in, intrinsic bad in the world. She doesn't um, um, espouse that, that attitude. She's got good and bad and Thank God the good prevailed in the end and uh, you know, got rid of all the horcruxes and, and killed. But that's, that's not the Jewish attitude. So what, what would a more Jewish Hagrid have said, might have said in that would have said, Well, let's try and in, in, incur God's wrath. We, we bring God into everything uh, and get him dead. Get the good to overcome the evil, because that's what's good. that's what has to happen. That's what will happen. Let's us do it right away and not not let it go rampant. 
for so long as as it does. You know, it's just a matter of time, that's all. Mashiach's going to come in the end, the world's going to be put right, and, and so it's just a question of when. Get on with the job now. That's getting the on Jewish with the job. attitude. Has, when, when you talk about um, getting on with the job and the 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 Jewish attitude to such things, has what's considered the Jewish attitude or has, has Jewish life changed substantially between your early days in Manchester and and Gateshead and Panovich and to oh, now? Absolutely. Yes, yeah, last 50 years. Enormously. I mean... Start. It's a different world. It's the digital world. The kids growing up today, I saw yesterday, I think it was a three-year-old in the bus or somewhere watching, uh, holding and playing with a uh, computer. Um, so the opportunity for thought is so much less. I'll put it bluntly, uh, it's a very superficial world. It always was, but it's even more than it was. And focused depth, focused hard intellectual scholarly work uh, is much less to be found. I'm not in the academic world, I can't fully testified to this, but it's, it's obvious that the world is not conducive to so much thinking as it was. And hence, um, this may be an interesting corollary to what I've just said, hence a lot of different groups um, in the, in the religious Jewish world, in Yiddishkeit, have become more relevant than they were originally. I'm not trying to say because they are superficial and the world's superficial, so... No, they are um, deep and valid, but it's just that in an, in an artificial world, the spiritual diet is just a different diet. And I see it with my, I have a daughter who's intelligent, Hashem, they're all intelligent. I have six daughters. And uh, one or two of them, I would say two, are quite connected with Breslov. I come from the more Polish world. I mentioned Brody, which is Galicia, but it's, we, we follow what's called the Derech of the Naim Elimelech. I think it's a was apart from that. And I used to talk, I have to, I have to just repeat this, the way it was brought to me, I'm trying to say, nearly 50 years ago, an old Polish Yid coming from Poland who lived in Tzfas, very anti-Breslov, and Tzfas in the north of Israel has a strong Breslov presence. It's noticeable in everything. 
it's a culture. It's interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm all embracing it. I see the good in everyone. But some people like to see, let's say, the good and the bad. I won't talk about those who only like to see the bad. Uh, anyway, this person was very anti-Breslov. He was brought up that way. You could see it was ingrained in him. And the Breslov approach of... He saw it superficial, indeed. He would think he was a Gera or whatever. He was a real Polisher. Like the way his Yiddish was so Polish. Breslovers, I read the Gansa Tart from Simcha and Simcha, Kikstuna Breslova, who said there's Mula Atzvas. He says the Breslovers talk about this um, um, generating happiness and uh, delight. Uh, I see the Breslovers, he says, it's full of. of um, um, the opposite of happiness, uh, downcast, uh, depression. Yes, there's a better word than sadness. Despondency. Despondency. Yeah. Yes, and so on. They, they just have to push their agenda. He, he had this line of so anti, and, and I can see that for my daughters, Breslov has a lot of meaning. I mean, there's a whole. Tibor, a whole public today who are into Breslov, huge public, and it's just growing, just as Chabad is, uh, I think. And, and they accomplish, they, they have a message to everyone, the Breslovers, I think. I don't want to discuss it here, it's, I don't want to go into the detail, I'm just talking generally. There's, there's, there's a need for a dash of all sorts of different spices today in our diet because we need it. We need the, we need vitamin tablets. Who heard of them before? We so need all this. Uh, so the spiritual diet input. is is changing because of people's shorter attention spans and the the hectic pace of the world and superficiality altogether. I think people aren't willing to sacrifice and do things the hard way, uh, or less than they used to be. And so, yeah, the, 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 the curriculum changes of Yiddishkeit, and that's why, going back to Talmud that we talked about so much, uh, you used to learn a sugya, a gemara, and you used to sit a week on it, and one page, and, People can't do that today, and they, they need some sort of yesoid, some concept, a brisker, maybe yesoid, or from yeshivish uh, concept, that gives them the, the, the main thrust of the, of the issue, and, and, and then they feel accomplished in the issue and move on. No one's going to stand. No one's going to, or very few are going to sit for the one detail on a page. Just, just yeah, the Tosfos, the, the Kasha put here or put there, and why the Rajva puts this Kasha after the other thing, and the, the difference between Tosfos, that Dikduk and some, which is real. Ian, of course, they do it in yeshivas. That's learning, but it's it's 
I feel it's less than it used to be. Uh, and as I say, yeah, it's getting weaker. The, the, the academic world and the spiritual world, and it's just a different world. So what's, is there a counterbalance to that, to that, to that weakening? Of I don't think so. I think it's part of the Eurydice um, Adoras altogether. I don't bemoan it the way others like to commiserate and, and, and get some satisfaction, I think, from, from talking about how the world's come down. The, the answer is still what it always was, Torah, Gomorrah, I stress Gomorrah a lot. I know in the Chabad world, this, the learning of Hasidus is stressed a lot. I don't want to address that here. We're not here to discuss Chabad. So, Gomorrah, Poiskim, and just learning. I mean, the, the, the diet of, the, of a true... Um, what do they say on the the cornflakes boxes? This is the this breakfast is the diet of um, of Olympic uh, uh, winners and so on. Oh, breakfast of champions! Breakfast of champions. That's right. That kind of thing. Yeah. So I would say the the breakfast the the diet of champions is the same. It hasn't changed. Same. It's more. It's more the fringe people who have to be accommodated. Perhaps it's not fair to say fringe, but less in-depth people who can't and are not going to tackle Gomorrah in depth, but want an association, have to be... Um, addressed and taken care of and given interpretations of Torah that suit their, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean going off the traditional line, just the way the presentation is, has to be different. It's like the rabbi who's given, you know, seven minutes and if he, and in the second half of the seventh minute, Everybody's looking at their watch and so on. Uh, that's today's diet. You've got to put everything into a few short sentences. And um, yes, like these health bars, you know, that include all the vitamins you need. Is, is it a cause to be alarmed or is it the natural way of things? I don't think it's a cause to be alarmed. Everything's a cause to be alarmed. We're in a, a very physical and uh, gashmious world. And, and yet, HaKadosh Baruch wants us to survive and be strong in our Torah and Yiddishkeit. So it's obvious we can. We have to be alarmed all the time. Ashrei Odom Fachet Tamid. Happy is the person who's always on guard and is constantly aware of the dangers around him and is constantly preparing for his day of death and is constantly, uh, yeah, on, on the ball. This is one of the, the two Tamids, the two perpetual uh, mitzvahs. 
this, this, this line, Ashray, Ashray Adam. Happy is the man who is afraid always, or fortunate yeah. is the man who is afraid always? Yeah, who considers the ramifications of his actions. That's what the Gemara is talking about there. When people uh, acted foolishly and brought the enemy, the Roman enemy, enemy upon them in the time of the Roman occupation of Israel 2,000 years ago, nearly 2,000 years ago. But that's, uh, that's a different aspect of it. Sure. Just, uh, that's why Australian laid-backness doesn't, doesn't sit well with, with uh, proper conscientious Yiddishkeit. You have to change your, your own culture a bit if you want to do the right thing. We're we're just uh, now in in Parshas Vayechi, the the final Pasha of um, the Yosef cycle. Yeah, our ancestors. And the final um, the final the final Pasha in, in the book of Bereshis. Yeah. I, I I feel like there's this there's a strong um, there's a strong sense in in Yosef's conversations with Yehuda last Pasha and also in. The final action took him of this week's Pasha. Yeah, uh, this idea together coming, a together coming, a together coming, and a and a and a forward looking, like Yosef is called Yesod, the foundation. Yes, and no, because we see there was we are told that the the uh, the great sages were tortured to death. The Haruge Malchus, the whole. All these tragedies occurred because of the selling of Yosef. So it's obviously, it obviously hasn't been corrected totally yet. And it only will be, as we said in the Haftorah last week, when Mashiach comes. That's the final together coming. And we're still working on it, you know, mm-hmm. bringing ourselves together. We have to um, rise to the occasion of meeting others who have different ideas and different minds. Uh, in a way, today's world is all about that. But you, you say, you mentioned the word pluralism in in Orthodox society. I look at you askance as though you, you're, you're a, a reformed Jew or something. You want to be accommodating of non-Judaism or other religions and other attitudes than that of the Torah. So uh, we're talking about a, a meeting of minds and hearts within the realm of Torah. And that's, uh, that's yet to happen. It's yet but, to happen. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think we're getting closer. I, I have a positive look at everything. I see the world uh, progressing. Well, there's a connection, I, I think we've discussed this a little bit in the past, between um, this discussion between uh, Yehuda and Yosef and the, um, the shifting of the monarchy in the book of Shmuel from... Uh, Shaul to David. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But people, I just want to show you 
how stubborn Jews are. David was the acclaimed ruler par excellence of the civilized world at the time, at the end of his reign. He showed visitors, regal visitors, how he could break and a bow. He had superhuman strength. Uh, he could break copper like that. It was obviously spiritual, the spirit of his spiritualism that gave him physical strength that was abnormal. This was not Samson who had it as a strong person, just because it was also spiritual. I won't go into Samson, it's another, <laughs> another essay. But, uh, but David had it in the right way, totally. And we see he's a source of inspiration to all of us, all of us to this day. Somebody met me in Martin Place here once, uh, a Muslim, and talked about, oh, tell me, do you read Psalms uh, uh, and so on? Isn't it inspiring? Uh, uh, a Muslim Arab, uh, mentioned something about Israel. He said, oh, you're not one of those, are you? I said, no, I read Psalms. Psalms is my inspiration. So, um, you know, an anti-Zionist can also get uh, um, inspiration from Psalms. That's David the Malach. Uh, yet, during his lifetime, the whole of his lifetime, he had rivals. He had not just rivals, opponents. Misnagdim, to use the term. After his death, when Schleimer was king, these Shoal fans were still alive and kicking. We're told that when Schleimer built the base of Mikdash and he couldn't get the gates to open so that he could bring in the holy ark, the very essence of the holiness of the temple, of the Jewish people, of the world, he, they wouldn't open. He couldn't open them. He, he, he shouted in prayer to God, please remember Chazdei David. He, he tried everything. Praying to God, nothing helped. Remember, the Remember my father David, Solomon said, and in his merit, open the gates. So Shorim Rashecha opened the gates. They opened. At that moment, uh, we are told, our sages tell us, all the Shaul people, the enemies of David, went black. They like, realized their whole mission was lost. Previously, they had been taunting David because of his story with Bathsheba. They said, he's a sinner. They said, you see, our King Shaul was very proper. There was no, uh, none of this kind of thing. David, we're told, the, the, the Gemara said, had this Yitzhahara, or I can't even... Where I'm afraid to say anything because David is David Amalek is like sitting with the Shechina and so on, but but he needed to do whatever he did 
to show the world how to do tshuva, which he did. He showed the world how to do tshuva, uh, and, they, and, and his enemies wouldn't accept this, none of this. Who told, who told you to sin in the first place? They like wouldn't accept David as a true leader in Yiddishkeit. I'm sure they didn't believe in saying psalms of David either. They were Shaul's people. And when they when 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 they saw that mentioning David's name was what built the Beis Amikdosh, essentially it made the temple, it opened the gates. They realized that their their struggle to oppose David and to adopt a different approach to the service of God was all in vain. David had earned his place and only his place and only his way was the way. So you just look at the stubbornness of Jewish people. These went on through the reign of David, through the successful reign and Shlomo, they were still opponents. What's the lesson for us today? Well, that we, we, we have to build bridges. We have to come to understand and appreciate other, other ways in Yiddish guys, as long as they basically keep the Shulchan Aruch. We're not, I'm not talking about people, <laughs> revisionists or Picasso and that, the people who don't keep, I'm talking about people who keep what's written in Shulchan Aruch. Uh, Show them a kitzel shochanah. Do you keep this, 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 and this? If they do, then whatever their approach is, there has to be some appreciation of it. A thousand years back, there was a different shochanah to the regular one uh, coming from the ten tribes. This is a historic detail, not so well known, but it's. It's, 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 it is. This is El Eldad. Eldad Adani, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just learned about it for the first time today. I had different halachas and shechita and a whole different approach. And they asked the at the time, and they, they said, leave them alone. It's, it's, um, they didn't, well, they, they did endorse the, those who were brought up that way to continue that way which was just these visitors from the outer world, as it were. So you see that there has to be a recognition and a, an appreciation and even a together coming, in a way, of all Jews and to appreciate their contribution and with their weaknesses to appreciate that they have unique features. Rev. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. This is General Ike, Building Jerusalem.